0: podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your kung-fu may be good, but mine is better. When a beloved teacher dies under mysterious circumstances, one student makes it his mission to find out the truth. But when that student is the inimitable Bruce Lee... The truth should be afraid, very afraid. Welcome to the Kung Fu Driving Podcast, I'm your host Jeff Vita, and in this episode, let's throw down with Fists of Fury. Before we get started, I just want to take a quick moment and say thank you to you, my Poison Clan, for helping me get to episode 10. When I started this tiny little niche podcast, I said I would hold off on my personal hero, Bruce Lee, until episode 10, and here we are. So again, a big thanks to everyone who listens, subscribes, shares, rates, and reviews the show, because without it, I don't get past episode 3. Keep sharing, guys, because we're now on Google Play Music as well as iTunes, and it seems to be growing, so let's keep the momentum going. Fist of Fury is a 1972 Hong Kong film directed by Lo Wei, starring Bruce Lee in his second major role after The Big Boss in 1971. It's a piece of speculative fiction that contains certain real-life characters. Lee plays Chen Zhen, a student of real-life martial arts instructor Ho Yun-ja, who died young at the age of 42. Some of the students of Ho Yun-ja's jing school speculated that he was poisoned, though during that time period he also could easily have reacted to some traditional Chinese medicine that contained arsenic trioxide. Our story begins with the death of He yun a legendary Chinese hero famous for his victories over Russia's champion wrestler and Japan's Bushido experts. He was poisoned. By whom? For what? It was not known for certain, but there has been speculation. If you're already listening to this, then you already know it, but I just want to remind everybody that Bruce Lee is the man. Now, Chuck Norris has enjoyed a resurgence as an iconic tough guy, but please remember that Bruce Lee was Chuck Norris's teacher, okay? The movie opens up with Chen Zhen arriving at the Jingwu School in Shanghai, just as his teacher's coffin is being lowered into the ground. The distraught Chen can't process the loss, and throws himself onto the coffin in a desperate attempt to bring his sifu back. The headmaster, however, needs to keep control, and when pulling Chen off the coffin doesn't work, He takes matters into his own hands, and whacks Chan over the head with a shovel, knocking him out cold. Now this may be just the first few minutes of the film, but as soon as you first see him on screen, the one thing that shines through is Bruce Lee's intensity. He doesn't half-ass a single scene. If he's standing around, he's standing around like a boss. And when he's fighting, well, that's a whole other plane of existence for the Dragon as we'll soon see. While he grieves, we get an introduction to his fiancée, played by Nora Miao. I had a huge crush on Nora Miao growing up, and I'm sure I was not the only one. She went on to do two more films with Bruce Lee, so, as a fan, you couldn't help but become enamored with Dinora. Apparently, she now hosts a radio show in Toronto, so all you Canadians can go check that out. Meanwhile, during the grieving process, Chen Zhen starts to question the cause of his teacher's death. To him, it doesn't quite add up, and he's going to figure out why. Will you tell me what teacher died of? It was... it was pneumonia. That's what the report said. And you really think that's true? I don't believe it. The next day, during another solemn observance at the school, a trio of Japanese men rudely interrupt the proceedings and coldly stir up trouble. The main bully, Wu, a weasel-faced interpreter, sneers and smirks his way through the students and with blatant disrespect tries to goad the Jing Wu students into a fight and then calls the entire school out as weaklings when no one steps up. He presents the school with a framed banner that reads, Sick Man of Asia. Now, according to Wikipedia, in 1902, Ho Yunjia responded to a challenge advertised by a Russian wrestler in Shuyang Park. The wrestler openly called the Chinese weak men of the East because no one accepted his challenge to a fight. The Russian forfeited when Ho actually accepted his challenge and told Ho that he was merely putting on a performance to make a living and apologized for his earlier remark in the newspaper. Sick Man of Asia. What's it mean? What's it mean? (laughs) Well it's quite simple. It's a warning, you ought to know that perfectly well. We know you're training here, we don't want you to get any ideas. You can see Chen Zhen foaming at the mouth to hand out some beatings, but the headmaster keeps everybody in check. The littlest of the three, even smaller than Weaselface, steps up to get his digs in and promises to eat his words if any Jingwu student beats him in a fight. You can see the veins want to bust out of Chen Zhen's neck as he holds back, even while Weasel Face is slapping his face to emphasize his superiority over them. I'm pretty sure if you slap Bruce Lee, that's the last slap you ever hand out. The next day, we get one of the most famous scenes in this movie when Chen Zhen shows up at Suzuki School alone and walks into the dojo to return the banner. So you want to see how good you are? Then you must be tired of living! Well... We fight alone, or all together. FIGHT SCENE The Lilo's henchman steps up first, and in a sick display of speed and control, Chen Zhen's fist shoots out like a whip and sends the little guy sprawling. Next up is the second of the three bullies from the beginning scene, and he gets taken out just as easily. But these two are just appetizers for the fight that's about to unfold. The entire dojo surrounds Chen Zhen, and we get to hear that famous Bruce Lee yowl as he sizes up the room and plans out how he's going to take everybody down. The Japanese fighters start advancing one at a time and Chen uses a series of well-placed kicks to brush them aside. Bruce Lee did all his own fight choreography for this movie so of course everything looks fluid and dynamic, but again, with Bruce Lee putting all of his effort into even the simplest movements, every kick looks lethal. After crushing a few more fighters, two students get caught in Chen Zhen's grip and he picks them up off of their feet and helicopter spins them around the room, releasing them to opposite corners. When one lucky student lands a kick to Chen's back, he rolls to a corner and pops up with the weapon that any kid who watched him in the 80s wanted to go out and buy that day, the nunchucks. The Japanese students don't quite know what to make of this weapon as he starts to demonstrate his control and speed with it. In Bruce Lee's hands, the nunchucks were elegant and magical. In my hands, they were lethal, but only to myself. The Japanese students test their luck and get picked off one by one in a great long shot of the surrounded Chen whipping the chucks around with brutal accuracy. With the entire dojo subdued, Chen goes to leave but before he does, he makes sure that the bullies live up to their end of the bargain and he makes them literally eat their words by force-feeding them pieces of the banner. This time you're eating paper. The next time it's gonna be glass. While Chen is making his way back, he finds he has to cross some gated grounds that do not allow dogs or Chinese people, as indicated by a sign on the post. A passing Japanese group spots the irked Chen and taunts his misfortune. One of the Japanese guys tells Chen that if he got down on all fours and acted like a dog, he'd take him through. Chen considers it for all of a half a second before he lets a punch fly and knocks the punk out. And In one final gesture, Chen leaps up and kicks the racist sign off the post and smashes it, much to the delight of the gathered Chinese crowd. FIGHT SCENE At Jingwu school, the students are busy practicing when Suzuki students show up and lay waste to the place. It's a big mess of a fight scene as the students all get involved with their rivals. Even Nora Miao has to get her hands dirty by taking on some knuckleheads. The Japanese want to destroy as much as possible and even make a beeline for the fallen teacher's shrine which they desecrate without any compassion. The Japanese lay an ultimatum on the school to hand over Chen in three days or they'd be back to finish the job. Now how can one student take out an entire dojo and that student's school get taken down by that same dojo? Kinda makes you wonder how good that teacher really was, huh? The school decides that the best course of action for Chen is to leave Shanghai. Chen agrees even though it means leaving his fiance behind for a bit. But while preparing to leave, Chen overhears two cooks talking about how they poisoned the teacher on the Weasley Wu's orders. Needless to say, this didn't quite sit well with Chen. FIGHT SCENE Chen discovers that the cooks are actually Japanese thugs hired to take out Ho Yun-ja. They're unapologetic and flaunt the fact in Chen's face, which leads to the expected results. Fueled by the rage of facing his beloved teacher's killers, Chen flies around the small kitchen and issues a merciless beating on the two goons. Li gets to show off his lightning-quick hands when he unloads a series of punches in rapid succession into the gut of one of the cooks. Unfortunately, instead of leaving at least one of the thugs alive and potentially having him confess his crime to the proper authorities, Chen kills both and hangs their corpses from a light pole in the street. Not exactly subtle, but effective. Now a bona fide murderer, Chen goes into hiding after leaving a note for the Jingwu headmaster explaining the poisoning. The school worries that they'll be blamed for the deaths and decide that they need to go find Chen before they all get in trouble. Norman Miao's character, knowing Chen the best, heads to the local cemetery where Chen spends his nights by his teacher's grave. Just a quick side note here, when we catch up with Chen, he's roasting some kind of animal and without being at all knowledgeable about animal biology, the carcass looks like a cat, but someone else will need to confirm that for me. Either way, it looks delicious as Chen is tearing into it by the fire. The Story Cycle by Jeff Summers, author of the Avery Cade series, has been called intricate with ink-black humor by RT Book Reviews, and heartbreaking and soaked in blood and steeped in deadly power and desperation by Publishers Weekly. When blood fuels magic, there are mages, there are bleeders, and there are no good people. Learn the words, get the blood, and rule the world. Available everywhere from Gallery Books, check out WeAreNotGoodPeople.com. Miao and Chen spend some time hashing out the situation and their place in the uncertainty ahead. They profess their love and trust in one another, and exchange the only on-screen kiss ever shared with Bruce Lee. It's here that Chen makes the connection of the interpreter Wu to the hired assassins, and it sends Chen hunting. The news of the assassins' death get back to Suzuki, but instead of instant retaliation, this time Wu suggests that they get the police involved to do their dirty work for them. It's like this. Force them to hand over Chen. That is to say, give them an ultimatum. Either he surrenders, or the police close the school. Chen is too gallant to let them do that. He would have it on his conscience forever. So he surrenders, and then we do what we like. Under the control of the Japanese, the police try to pry the info on Chen's whereabouts from the Jing Wu school but get nowhere. They issue their own ultimatum of two days or the school gets shut down. Meanwhile, Suzuki is entertaining a Russian guest who's come to train at his dojo. The fighter Petrov, is a strong man who can drive nails with his bare hands and bend steel bars around his arms with ease. By the way, if you're keen to see some bare Japanese geisha butt, this is the scene to queue up to. After some heavy drinking, Wu decides to call it a night and catches a rickshaw home. But unbeknownst to him, it's actually Chen disguised as the driver. Chen takes the rickshaw to a dead-end alley where he starts to lay into Wu for info. When Wu is less than forthcoming, Chen displays some otherworldly superhuman strength and lifts the rickshaw into the air by the guide bars alone. Wu drops the dime on Suzuki and claims that he was just carrying out orders before begging for pity. Chen turns to walk away, but Wu tries to stupidly brain him with a rock. Chen makes a quick turn and cuts Wu down quickly and, like he did with the cooks, strings him up on a light pole for everyone to see. A frustrated Suzuki puts more pressure on the police to find and arrest Chen, so they pay another visit to the school and give them one more day to turn Chen over or the whole student body goes to jail. Feeling the pressure, Nora Miao's character discloses that she knows where Chen hangs out, at least at night. Meanwhile. Chen is busy donning another disguise to infiltrate Suzuki's dojo and try to gather more information. Dressed as a phone repairman, Chen gets inside the school and witnesses Petrov showing off his strength. He gets as deep as Suzuki's office where he overhears some initial plans about going after the school instead of trying to find Chen himself. Chen leaves before he hears the full plan, which is to attack the school and leave no survivors. Right. Do it tonight. But God help you if you leave any alive. Sir... While the small Jing-Wu search party is combing the graveyard for Chen, the Japanese are bearing down on Jing-Wu itself. Coincidentally, as the Japanese are leaving their dojo, Chen is making his way back into the school to go after Suzuki himself. Fight scene! Chen walks in on a few students left behind, and he gives them a chance to leave, which they of course decline, necessitating the Chen beatdown that ensues. The teacher who got thrown through a wall in the first fight is also there, and this time he comes to Chen with a sword. What I enjoy most about this fight is that Bruce Lee actually dodges and tries to avoid the blade, which makes the fight look more realistic instead of the super tightly choreographed sword play that usually goes on in kung fu films. He sticks to staying away from the business end of the sword while dipping when he can to make his strikes. He uses one of these slips to get in really close and kick the sword out of the teacher's hands and high up into the air. While the teacher is registering the shock, Chen grabs his head and pulls him forward, allowing the sword to come back down and bury itself in the old man's back. Now you might think that would be satisfying enough for Chen, But it isn't, as we get an awesome slow motion sequence of the teacher straightening up with the bloody sword sticking out of his gut. And from just over his left shoulder, we see Chen turn slightly to load up what is sure to be a devastating punch. And he slowly uncoils it, catching the teacher full in the face, sending him flying backwards. And in the foreground, we see Chen following through with the punch all the way around as the teacher drops behind him. Chen continues on through the dojo and gets to Suzuki's office, which is guarded by three more thugs. They do their best to keep him away, but Chen is just too quick and powerful for them to handle. The last guard gets the worst of this battle when he foolishly charges at Chen. Chen, waiting patiently for the telegraphed attack to arrive, drops down at the last second and delivers a brutal strike right to the guy's groin, which he then follows up with another quick hit. Now guys, you know how defensive we get with that area, right? I mean, we guard up if a wadded-up snot rag hits us. So, now imagine Bruce Lee throwing two... Full force punches, right in your happy sack. If your throat feels like it's closing up right now and you've got that dull ache in the pit of your stomach, I'm right there with you. And so is the guard, whose face looks like it's about to explode from the pain. And without another sound, he drops to the floor and probably had to change his name to Lucy after this. Watching all of this from the office is the Russian Petrov and Suzuki himself. Petrov decides that he's going to handle things and steps to Chan with some serious swagger. There's a clear size mismatch as the uh, much taller Petrov looms over Chen. And there's a quick sizing up with some light punches. And what's fun about the camera work in these fight scenes is that we go from a wide shot to a point of view shot as the fighters are throwing their punches. Not that I ever want to see Bruce Lee sending a kick to my face, but it's a cool shot and serves to emphasize the intensity of some of these exchanges. Petrov seems cautious at first while Chen walks around to feel things out. Petrov charges in hard and actually catches Chen with some punches, which Bruce Lee milks by contorting his face as he reacts. Chen delivers a reverse roundhouse right to Petrov's throat, which drops the giant for just a bit. After a few exchanges, the fight goes to the ground, where Petrov locks Chen in an armbar. Not above a little dirty fighting, Chen bites hard into Petrov's leg, forcing him to let go. And both fighters reset. And here we get to see the iconic moment of the film as Chen focuses in and performs a slow kata with his arms. The special effect of his arms repeating as if he were performing some magic spell lends a supernatural quality to Chen and. I always associated this move with the title of the film, and definitely tried to reenact the Fist of Fury in my play fights. Petrov looks like he gets momentarily mesmerized by the spinning, sweeping arm movements, and as he charges in, Chen spins and catches him with a powerful kick to the head. He repeats this at will, which weakens Petrov considerably, and in a final slow-motion exchange, Chen lands a kick that drops Petrov to his knees, allowing Chen to lean in, grab his head and pull it back, and with every muscle tensed, Chen delivers a hard strike to Petrov's throat, crushing his windpipe. Final fight! Suzuki wisely decides to retreat into his office with Chen giving chase. And from the shadows, Suzuki goes after Chen with a sword, which Chen avoids easily. Chen makes a cool somersaulting leap off of Suzuki's desk at one point and grabs a long piece of wood from the ceiling's rafters. He uses it to counter Suzuki's blade, but can't avoid getting sliced across his chest. It's the wake-up call he needs, though, to break out his nunchucks and get the party started. Suzuki lunges with his blade and gets staved off by the swinging chucks and Chen pops off a wild display of nunchuck control, spinning and slashing them through the air at dizzying speeds. Suzuki hilariously tries to follow the stakes and gets mildly disoriented and if you look closely it looks like Chen is smirking slightly at the confusion on Suzuki's face. And with just the chucks, Chen is able to disarm Suzuki and tag him a few times on the forehead. Savoring the moment, Chen throws his chucks away to put them on even footing and squares up to finish the fight. Suzuki manages a hard strike to back Chen up but with another foolish charge, Chen lets off a beautiful flying kick which catches the leaping Suzuki right in the throat and sends him crashing through the doors and out into the garden where he dies with a mouthful of blood. Fun fact here, Jackie Chan was actually the body double for Suzuki as he was being thrown through those doors. With his quest for revenge fulfilled, Chen exhales and sadly looks to the sky as if to seek his teacher's approval. Every day, whether you realize it or not, you're moved by the power of visual communication. And that's by design. At Tinbox Marketing Solutions, the goal of that design is to bring effective communication to a myriad of people through shape, color, texture, and sound. Tin Box is a creative services group located in Los Angeles, California by way of New York City. Their clients include La Tigre, Konami, Pony Footwear, and comedian Jerry Seinfeld. For the bleeding edge in graphic design and print services, don't think outside the box. There is no box. TinBoxSolutions.com Back at Jingwu school, the search party arrives to a massacre. There are bodies everywhere, and one student is able to identify Suzuki before giving up the ghost. They found one more student who might pull through, but the rest of the school has been exterminated. Outside the school, the Japanese consulate representative has brought media and police with him and is demanding entry into Jingwu. The police comply and they're both shocked at the carnage, but the Japanese are only after Chen. Chen himself climbs into the school through a window and confronts the horror of what he's wrought. He overhears the argument about him going on downstairs and confronts his accusers. As he's walking down the stairs, he exchanges a tearful silent final farewell with Nora Miao and then gives himself up to the police provided they leave the school alone. How do this? I shall accept punishment for the lives that I took. You just leave the school alone! Yeah, sure, sure. As they walk Chen out into the courtyard he sees several police with their guns trained on him. We get a long close-up of Chen's face as he decides his final play. He lets out a scream and charges directly at the police and executes a flying leap into the air. There's a beautiful freeze frame to capture the leap as the sound of gunfire erupts behind it. As a kung fu fan, you understand that Bruce Lee changed the game for martial arts cinema and his legacy and influence continue to this day. He was a personal hero of mine, and while I never learned to fight like he did, his philosophy and determination will always be guiding principles. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow, or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Before I sign off, I want to give a few shout-outs to some friends of the show. If you follow me on the Twitter, at Kung Fu Drive-In, you'll find that I've hooked up with an awesome community of podcasters who are all part of the Potter and Family hashtag. If you like this show, you're sure to find a few more shows via that hashtag that you're sure to enjoy. There are a whole range of topics covered from geek culture to craft beer and everything in between. Check out Girl FM Headline News for some quick news bites with a touch of humor, or Behind the Barricades for interviews with up-and-coming musicians, or Rock Out with the Rock Show with Gully and Joe for some headbanging, or just get smarter with We Fact Up. Whatever you have a taste for, Potter and Family probably has you covered. So that's going to do it for this week, Poison Clan. Listen, ratings and reviews are like currency to us podcasters, so if you enjoy the show, please stop by on iTunes and leave a rating or review. It makes a big difference to small shows like this. Until next week, peace!